I have a friend, true story, I have a friend that has a full-time job, supposedly, and still manages to golf 110 rounds of golf every summer. Is that even possible mathematically? But he manages to do it. But there's one thing he doesn't have. You know what it is? A wife. <laughs> he, he used to. <laughs> he used to. Welcome to Church of the Rock from Winnipeg. Stay tuned to this week's thought-provoking message from Pastor Mark Hughes. Well, today we're starting a brand new series, and you know that. It's called The Greater Passion, based on the book by the same name. And uh, we're excited about this. Let me tell you a little bit about the journey in this. And so four years ago, when I was writing the book, A Greater Purpose, I devoted four pages, four pages, not chapters, to this topic of passion. And I realized how important passion was as I'm writing this, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you're gonna have a hard time fulfilling your purpose in life if you don't have the passion that goes with it. Unless the passion and the purpose align, you're kind of in trouble. And then I thought to myself, there's a whole other book here. I better go on with this. Only took me four years. But I'll tell you, the first thing I did was the first thing was I thought, well, I wonder if anybody else has ever written a book on passion. And so I thought, maybe I'll go on Amazon and have a little look. So I little did a search on Amazon. Are you ready for this? There was 161,000 titles. 161,000 titles on passion. And I thought, oh my goodness. Now, most of them were steamy sex novels. But there were books about passion about everything. Passion about scrapbooking. Passion about model trains. Passions about planes. Passions about cars. Passion about boats. And then they get really weird. I kept on reading through and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, people are passionate about everything. Uh, a couple of my favorites were this one, Passion for Potatoes. There's a book <laughs> written called Passion for Potatoes. Another one written called Passion for Pumpkins. I'm thinking, who's that passionate about pumpkins that they write a book about it? And who's gonna read it? And then I was thinking to myself, there's got to be a greater passion. And then I thought, the next book. There it is. There's, there's the title. So, so we want to look at this thing called passion. And the simple definition of passion is this, is that passion is an intense and driving sense, almost overpowering sense of desire and zeal. And it's when we want something so bad, we will do anything to get it. And in the scripture, the word passion is used, but there's also synonyms that are used as well. And so when you see the word zeal, for example, read passion. When you see the word desires, read passion. When you see the word lust, read passion. And all the way through scripture, we see actually hundreds of verses about this subject of passion. See, I am convinced that all great achievement in our world comes from passionate people. I don't believe anything really happens by accident. You think people are just discovering cures for diseases by accident? It might happen on occasion, but usually you know what it is? There's someone passionately investigating, someone so consumed, someone so obsessed and obsessed with finding out what the answer is that they go after it and they discover it or whatever happens in life, it's passionate people that are really making the difference in the world. 
And the reason I'm telling you about this is because you were created to be a passionate person. So let me, let me give you a little, my, my definition of passion. I have a bit of a different definition. And I call passion the fuel for life. And I want you to think about this because, you know, you all drive a car, right? Or if you don't drive a car, you get on a bus. And there's one thing that makes that bus or one thing that makes that car go, it's fuel. And it doesn't matter how big the engine is. It doesn't matter how powerful it is. It doesn't matter how well engineered it is. Without fuel, it's not going anywhere. And you could have an 800 horsepower race car, but without fuel, it's going nowhere. And on that point, I want to tell you a little story, and I'm going to show you a little video. And what I'm trying to do, and this is important, I'm trying to burn an image, a picture. And if you forget everything else of this message, I'm hoping you remember this picture. And it's a, it's a story of Alain Prost. Alain Prost was the world champion Formula One racer in the 80s and in the 90s. He was from France, and, and uh, he was, at the time of this story, he raced for the McLaren team. 800 horsepower race cars, what he drove. Uh, an incredible record. He's a legend in the sport. Uh, 51 wins, 106 podiums. Basically, he was on the podium half the races he ever entered. That's how good and how exceptional he was. And there's this little race, and I'm going to show you a short video of it. And here it is. It was from the 1986 German Grand Prix. Here he is. He's around, coming around. He was the leader of that year. He's coming around the last corner, and he runs out of fuel. And look at him, look at him, he's, he's bouncing back and forth like a kid on a tricycle, trying to get it to go faster. He's got no fuel, the engine has quit. You can see the cars are already passing him. He's freaking out, he's realizing he's gonna lose this race, he's not gonna get to the finish line. He's almost there. Here's my favorite part of the whole thing. He realizes he's not got it, he jumps out of the car. Watch this, he runs behind the car and starts pushing it. And he starts pushing it, and he's going, I've got to get to the finish line, I've got to get to the finish line. Now, there are rules, you're not allowed to push your car across the finish line. And so finally, he pushes it off the track, and he's out of the race, the walk of shame. And here he has this 800 horsepower race car. He could have won that race, but he didn't. He came in last. Why? Because he ran out of fuel. And the reason I want you to look at that picture is I want you to imagine your life for a moment. Because that's what happens when we run out of passion. When we run out of passion, we run out of fuel, and we stop moving in life. And we're off the track, and we're not going to finish the race. And so I want to stir you today, because you have an 800-horsepower engine under your hood. Every single one of you has gifts and talents. Every one of you has God-given purpose. Every one of you has been called to something much greater than yourself. And the only thing you need is you need the passion of God to fuel that purpose. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about three things, because I always have three things to talk about in every message. And so I'm going to look at the power of passion today, and we're going to throw it up on the screen. And here's the three things I want to tell you today. Number one, passionate people always discover their destiny. Number two, passionate people always find time for their passions. And number three, passionate people will always change the world. So the first thing is this, that passionate people will always discover their destiny. And here's the little theory I want to give you today, that if you will follow your passion, if you will allow yourself to be fueled by your God-given passion, it will lead you right to your destiny. And a lot of times we don't know what we're supposed to do in life. I know that's true. I know we all struggle with that. And that's what the first book was all about. And I realized that if we would allow God to stir these passions in our heart, it'd be amazing where it will lead us, and it will lead us to that destiny. Now, I want to tell you a little story about this. How many of you know who... Uh, Mark Cuban is. I mean, you know who Mark Cuban. Most of you know who he is. He's on Shark Tank. You ever seen Shark Tank? 
you know, where the guys, you know, have the businessmen come. Here's Mark Cuban. Uh, you know, he's, uh, I would call him opinionated and arrogant, not unlike myself. And uh, whenever people come in, and uh, what he does is he tells them what they're doing wrong. And then after he tells them what they're doing wrong, instead of investing in it, he says, and for this reason, I'm out. And he's out 99% of the time. He rarely does invest in anything. And I don't even know why his name is Cuban. He was born in Pittsburgh. I don't even get that. <laughs> Nevertheless, we look at this guy, and I want to tell you his story because it's sort of interesting. So in the 1990s, he had a business called Broadcast.com. And uh, it was an internet uh, business, and he sold it in 1999 to Yahoo for $5.7 billion. $5.7 billion. He sells them this company. Three years later, Yahoo folds the company. It goes down in history as the worst internet business acquisition of all time. But did Mark Cuban care? No. He was $5.7 billion richer. And Here's what's interesting, because he, he wrote this, this blog in, uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it really caught me. And this is what he said. Now, like I said, he's very opinionated. He's not only on Shark Tank. He's, he's got businesses going. He's got lots of stuff going. But he wrote this, this uh, blog called Don't Follow Your Passions. And he said, the greatest lie in life is for you to follow your passions. Everybody says, follow your passion, follow your passion. He says, following your passion is a bunch of BS. It's the worst advice you could ever give or get. And I remember reading that, and I'm going, really? That's your advice to people? And then he tells this story, and I'll tell it to you. He says, when I grew up, he said, I had a passion for basketball, and I had a passion to be an NBA basketball player, but I only had a vertical of seven inches, <laughs> and you need a 40-inch vertical to be a basketball player in the NBA. So there was no way my passion was going to lead me to my destiny. So he says, I gave up on my passion, and instead I went into business where at least I could make money. And so I just told you the story a moment ago about how he made $5.7 billion in his sale. Let me ask you a question for those sports fans in the room. Who knows what the first thing he did once he made all that money? He went and bought the Dallas Mavericks basketball team. He went and bought an NBA franchise. And I want you to think about this. I don't want you to miss the hypocrisy. He never gave up on his passion. His passion was and always has been basketball. And as soon as he had enough money, business was one thing. For this reason, I'm out. But I'm in on basketball. And he buys this basketball team. I want to show you a few pictures of Mark Cuban. Look at this picture here. Does that look like a man who's lost his passion? for basketball. Look at this next one. Does this look like a man who's lost his passion for basketball? How about the next one? Does this look like a man who has no passion for basketball? At every single Dallas Mavericks game, this man is there, and he's either on the bench or in the stands, and he's wearing his jersey, and he is shouting at the ref. So much so that he was once fined, are you ready for this? A half a million dollars for criticizing the ref. Now that's passion. <laughs> that's putting your money where your mouth is. And here's, I, here's what I don't want you to miss. Sure, he didn't play basketball, but he pursued his love and his passion for this board. And see, this is what happens with us. When we are passionate about something, it's going to lead us to our destiny. I, I want to take a moment here. And I want to talk to you about the difference between motivation and passion, because sometimes we get the two confused. And the big difference is this, is that motivation comes from the outside. 
And uh, you've all been in those situations. Maybe you were on a you know, track team or a sports team, and the coach before the game or meet would always motivate you, right? You get the little pep talk and send you out. And you may or may not do well. And you, you've all had kids where they were in you know, hockey or in some sport. Okay, son, get out there and score a hat trick today. And you know, you're giving them this little pep talk, which may or may not have worked. Or maybe you were part of a sales team and every Monday morning, the sales manager would stand up and he'd say, let's go take the territory today. Let's go rip it up. Let's give it all we got. And you just are lifted up so high, you have to look down to see heaven. You know those kind of motivational speeches. But my question for you is how long does that motivation last? About as long as it takes for you to get to your car in the parking lot. And then you get out there and go, what was he talking about again? <laughs> and you know why motivation doesn't work? Because motivation works from the outside in. And the big difference between motivation and passion is passion works from the inside out. And so, you know, I would consider myself actually not a bad motivational speaker. I can actually stir people up. I don't know if you've noticed that. I have the ability to do that. But I know at the end of the day, that's not going to change you. And so it's actually, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. That's actually not my goal. My goal is actually to stir within you a passion, and so I poke at you. Have you ever noticed that? And I poke at you, and I try to get to the heart, because I know if you can get to that moment where something stirs inside of you, you have, you know what it is? It's that aha moment, that aha moment where God speaks to you, and you go, aha, that's my moment. And when you can hear what God is saying to you, to you specifically, that will stir passion in your heart. Am I right? And when you look into scripture and you see these men and these women that went on to accomplish great and amazing things with their life, I'm telling you, every one of them were stirred with passion. You look at David. Why would David, why did this ruddy little kid go up against a giant called Goliath? What got into him that motivated him to do so? I'll tell you what got into him, a passion for his God. He says, the zeal for your house has consumed me. David was a young man consumed with passion for God. And as long as that passion was burning, he was heading in the right direction. We look at Jeremiah. Oh, my goodness. Jeremiah had one serious personality disorder. You go read his story. Didn't matter what people did to him. They insulted him. They criticized him. They threw him down to the bottom of a well. Remember? Because he never had good news for them. He's always telling them about their bad behavior. And you think, what was wrong with this guy? Why did he keep on going? Well, he tells us. He says, the word of God was shut up within my heart like a burning fire in my bones, and I could not hold it back. So I did not. See, that's what passion does. Passion stirs within us. So we go into the New Testament, and we meet a man by the name of Paul. But before Paul was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Paul loves to talk about this Saul of Tarsus character, and he was a character. And he says, I excelled and advanced in Judaism above all my other contemporaries because I had a more exceeding zeal. So he said the reason that he was so uh, excelling in, in Judaism because he had more zeal, more passion than anybody else of his age. And then he tells us in Philippians 3, I love it. He says, you want to hear about zeal? Concerning zeal? Persecuting the church. He was bragging about how passionate he was about persecuting the church and killing Christians. I think God looked down and saw this passionate man that was hell-bent in destruction of the church and thought, what would happen if I turned that passion towards me instead of against me? Right? And I think he went, I mean, he moved heaven and earth to arrest this man on the road to Damascus 
and bring him from against God to for God. And he gets a hold of this man knowing that if he can get him headed in the right direction, get him turned around and moving the completely opposite direction, he'll be transforming the world and turning the world upside down, which is exactly what he did because he was so full of zeal. And he tells us about it. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He says, my heart's desire, read passion, my heart's desire is for all men in Israel to be saved. He was passionate about people coming to Christ, which explains why he endured everything he endured. What was wrong with this guy? I mean, look at him. He gives his, his, uh, you know, his resume about all the things he's done. And he says, look, I've been, uh, I've been flogged, I've been beaten, I've been stripped naked, I've been imprisoned many times, I've been shipwrecked twice. You, you remember the story of him being stoned? It's Acts chapter 14. He and Barnabas are in the city of Lystra, a city that had no synagogue, a city that had never heard the gospel before. He goes into this city, they perform a miracle, the whole town is turned upside down. Who remembers what he got for his efforts? It says, they, they dragged him to the, I don't know why I think this is funny, I just do. They dragged him to the edge of the city and they stoned him on the outskirts of town and left him for dead. He would have been lying there on the edge of town in a big heap of stones. And so it says the disciples gathered around him. What do you want to do with him? And he's there, all bloody, all bruised supposedly dead. I think he was dead because he tells a story about a man he knew that was caught up to the third heaven. It was him. He's talking about the fact that he died. But God said, you can't die. I'm not done with you yet. If you're passionate, death can't even stop you, right? And so anyway, this is what happens. Go read the story for yourself. It says, he got up. Who can tell me what he did next? What? He went back, he went back into the city. Would you be going back into the city after they dragged you out and tried to stone you to death? He says, I think I'll go back. <laughs> what? He goes back into the city, and if we know the story of Lystra, he meets a young man there by the name of Timothy, who becomes his disciple and becomes the great apostle of the church and the pastor of the church of Ephesus, who himself goes on to transform the world. And we know from history that Lystra became the first Greek city to be evangelized. Why? Because there was a man of extraordinary passion that there was nothing in this world that was going to stop him. You know what? Passionate people are unstoppable people, and they're on their way to discover their destiny. Second thing, passionate people have time for their passions. Now, this is an important point, and it doesn't seem as important as the other ones, but it is. Because here's what happens, you all know this story, that... If somebody asked you to do something that you don't want to do, hey, I'm moving on Saturday. Do you think you could come and help me move? Or hey, you know, we're painting a fence uh, you know, next weekend. Can you come and join us? Or hey, the church is doing this. And we're looking for volunteers. Here is the one thing we hear more often than any other excuse, and I bet you can finish it for you. Oh, I would love to come. I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. World's biggest lie. It's not that you don't have the time. You don't have the desire. You don't have the passion. Because people of passion have time for their passions. I don't care what your passion is. Don't know what it is. 
But I know that if computers are your passion, you got time for computers. If video games are your passion, you got time for your passion. If sports are your passion, you got time. If football's your passion, you got time for the NFL, the CFL, and a few other FLs. You have time for your passion. We all do. Have you ever seen golfers? Golfers always have time for their passion. Have you noticed that? I have a friend, true story, I have a friend that has a full-time job, supposedly, and still manages to golf 110 rounds of golf every summer. Is that even possible mathematically? But he manages to do it. But there's one thing he doesn't have. You know what it is? A wife. <laughs> he, he used to. <laughs> he used to. I have a friend named Dean, and Dean is the most, most obsessive fisherman I've ever met in my life. And Dean, he spends all summer uh, fishing. He, he actually owns a little uh, electronics repair shop. He has a business that he supposedly runs. Uh, but all summer long, he fishes on his lake. All winter long, he finishes on the Gulf of Mexico. And when he goes out fishing, he doesn't go for out for a couple hours. He goes out for eight hours. And when he's on the Gulf of Mexico, he'll go out 20 and 30 miles in a 20-foot boat. And one time he did this, honest to God, he went out without checking his fuel, without filling up, he went out 30 miles into the Gulf of Mexico. As soon as he got out 30 miles, he ran out of fuel. He had no cell phone range out there. He did not have his satellite transponder. He sat there all day till midnight till his wife realized he wasn't home, phoned the Coast Guard. They sent out a plane. He saw the plane go by, shot up a flare. They sent out a boat. He got home at four in the morning, left his boat in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And he wants to take me fishing. <laughs> And every time I see him, he says, Mark, when are you going to come fishing with me? And I, so finally I agreed to go. I said, okay, I'll go fishing with you, Dean. But I don't want to go for eight hours. I want to go for like two hours maximum. And I don't want to go outside of cell phone range from wherever we're going. Stay within cell phone range. He says, no problem. I can do that for you. No problem. So we get into his boat. He's got a 20-foot boat. We go out. It's the worst day ever. The wind is blowing. We're going straight into four-foot waves. And we pound in the same direction like this for an hour, just pounding along. We're going like 10 miles an hour, pounding like this, pounding like this. I'm thinking, like, can't we fish here? He says, no, no, there's no fish here. We gotta keep going. So we go for, for an hour in the same direction, pounding. Now, I'm pretty seaworthy to begin with, but I'm already seasick, and I'm sitting there. We're sitting, now we finally are fishing. We're sitting there going like this, back and forth. We're not catching anything. The only good news is I can still see the shoreline just barely in the distance. And I think, you know, if this boat goes down, I can probably swim that far. <laughs> Besides, the, wind, the waves are going that way. And so I was feeling relatively comfortable. So we're sitting there. We're there for an hour. We still haven't caught anything. And he says it's because we're not far enough out. And if we go another hour, then we would be good. Well, I'm not letting him go. And then what happens was his cell phone rings. So I'm pretty happy because that means we're in cell phone range, right? So his cell phone range or sorry, his cell phone rings, and I hear him having this conversation about a customer who dropped off an item at his shop, and I can hear from the conversation that the guy dropped it off a year ago, and it still wasn't fixed. And he's making his excuses as to why he hasn't got it fixed yet. And then these words, priceless, these words come out of his mouth. He says, I'm just so sorry, I've been so Busy. <laughs> really? I'm sitting there thinking, this has got to go in the book. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you've been busy, all right. Busy fishing. Everybody has time for their passions. 
And if they're really passionate about something, you'll make time for that. And as wonderful as golf is, and as wonderful as basketball is, and as wonderful as fishing is, you will never really truly find fulfillment in those hobbies. It's only when you discover a purpose greater than yourself, and you align your passion with that, then you've discovered your true greater passion, and everything else is going to change. So the first thing is this, is that, that passionate people always discover their destiny. Number two, passionate people have time for their passions. And number three, passionate people change the world. And I mean, you know, you've probably already figured this. When you, when you look throughout history, and you look at the change makers, the people who have made a difference in this world, I guarantee you every last one of them has been passionate people. And we look at the story after story. I could tell hundreds of these stories. We're going to conclude this message with two quick stories. So in October 31st, 1517, there was a man that you've all heard of. His name was Martin Luther. And he was a cleric. He was a Catholic priest. And he looked at his church, and he knew something had gone off the rails. And he wasn't happy with the direction his church was going. And he looked at the fact that the, the Pope was considered infallible, and he thought the Word of God was infallible. He looked at the fact that they were selling indulgences for people's sins to be forgiven. He looked at the fact that the Word of God was not in people's hands. And he came up with 95 different things that he thought were amiss in the church, which we know of today as the, the 95 Theses of Martin Luther. And then he wrote them out, and he went and he nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. So he nails him, causes the biggest controversy. I don't think he realized that that moment of nailing those 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door was going to change the world for all time, but it did. And so he nails these theses to the door, and then he has to go and defend them for four years. And they're mad as hops at him. And they want him to recant, and he won't recant, and he won't back down from this. And he starts digging in, and he starts arguing them more, and he starts actually encouraging other people to come on side that the Word of God needed to be in the hands of people. And so then what happened was four years later, in 1520, he gets tried. He's at an assembly. And uh, 1521, actually, four years later. And they call it the Diet of Worms. Now, the Diet of Worms sounds like something different. That sounds like something you could lose weight on, doesn't it? The Diet of Worms. Slimy, yet satisfying. And, uh, and <laughs> Lion King. Uh, and so that's not what it means. It means the assembly at the city of Worms, and he is actually being tried for heresy. And so here's a, a, a painting of this scene. You could imagine this. I just didn't want you to see the worms. And so, you know, there he is defending himself. And so all I want him to do they know that he's got this following. All they want him to do is to recant. And this is what he says. He says, I am bound by the scriptures. My conscience taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. For to go against one's conscience is neither right nor safe. So therefore, here I stand. So God help me. Amen. And he refused to back down and they excommunicated the man and the entire Protestant Reformation that every single one of you in this room is now part of began 500 years ago, a moment that changed the world because a man pursued his passions. 440 years later, there's a man named after Martin Luther, and his name is Martin Luther King Jr., and he's living in the time of a real racial prejudice. He's living in a time of the civil rights movement. He's living in a time where there was serious systemic racism. And he, st he stood up against those things. And he fought for the rights of not just people of color, but all people of all color.
And he had a dream. Do you remember his dream? His dream was his passion. And he said, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up in the true meaning of its motto that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal. I have a dream today. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day my four children will be raised up in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their heart. I have a dream today. You know that every chance he had, he gave that speech. Every chance he had an audience, he talked about this dream. Why? Because he had a passion. And some 60 or 70 years later, guess what? That dream is still carrying on. Long after he was assassinated, the dream still is alive today. The dream of Martin Luther is still alive today. Why? Because passionate people change the world. And guess what? You are a passionate person. What would happen? If you began to live out your passions and became a passionate spouse and a passionate parent and a passionate employee or a passionate employer or a passionate parishioner or a passionate friend or a passionate neighbor, guess what? You know what the world you need to change is? Your world. And that's exactly what passionate people do when they discover their greater passion. Pastor Mark's second book, A Greater Passion, is now available. Passion is the fuel for life and the key to pursuing our potential. If you have ever wondered if you could get more out of life, then this book is for you, filled with inspirational stories, laugh out loud humor. Visit churchoftherock.ca now to get your copy shipped right to your door.